Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you, at least in this in this sense. If you don't know me, my name's Philip. I'm one of the pastors of the church. Wasn't that a great interview just to be uh, hearing a bit more about John and Sophie's story and our partnership uh, with the church out in Istanbul? I'm loving the different interviews that we're having uh, in the life of the church, bringing, bringing real life, I think. Listen, let me tell you a little story as we get into this morning's message. Five years ago, Caroline and I got engaged, which is a, a pretty wonderful day. And in the evening, um, boldly hoping that she would say yes, I had booked us uh, a meal at quite a nice restaurant. And as you do with these kinds of things, I, I think I prepared quite carefully for this meal. So I'd obviously chosen the restaurant and looked at the menu and so forth. I had saved some money to be able to pay for it. Uh, we, uh, I, I thought a bit about what I was going to wear. I bought some shoes that Caroline could, could wear when she got to the restaurant. I borrowed a quite a nice car from a friend of ours that we could use for the evening. I haven't always been as romantic as this, but I think I did okay on this occasion. Um, and I prepared really, really, really well, really carefully for this, uh, this really special meal that we enjoyed to celebrate our engagement. And obviously, we do prepare, I think, very, very carefully for important meals. Because they're important, we prepare, we think about it, we want to arrive at the meal itself fully prepared to uh, embrace it and enjoy it for all it has to offer. Now for Christians, for 2,000 years now, there has been a meal right at the heart of the Christian community. It's known as communion, or the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table, or the Eucharist, it's got various different names. And for Christians, it's been such a central meal, sacrament, that we have always sought, or usually sought, to prepare for it carefully. Indeed, Jesus, when he inaugurated it, he prepared for it very, very carefully. The night before his death, he took great time and trouble to prepare for this really, really important meal. And then he commanded all believers, all his disciples, present and future, to share this meal, this sacrament, um, just as he had demonstrated how to do so. And the first church community that we read of, the one in Acts 2 in Jerusalem, we learn that they were absolutely, the, the verse says in verse 42, they were, quote, devoted to the breaking of bread. And in that instance, meaning communion, the Lord's Supper within the, the broader meal. They were devoted to it. And if you've been with us these last two weeks, you'll know that we're in this, we just started this series called Blueprint, looking at really the, the blueprint for church life that just these 10, 11 verses in Acts chapter 2 lay down for us. You know, we're in, the, we're in the midst of such interesting times for church life. What are we going to do? When are we going to do it? Where are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And so we just want to camp out in these few verses that lay down a really enduring vision, whatever the time, an enduring vision for the vision and the values of local church life. And this morning I want to look at the crucial value that the first church expressed of being devoted to the Lord's Supper. And I want to help us prepare to take this sacrament, this meal together at the end of this message in the context of some extended worship. So I have with me uh, bread and wine. I really trust that if you knew about this before, then you, you've got this, uh, the same uh, resources as it were available to you right now. If you haven't, go and get uh, your bread and your wine or some uh, equivalent of. And we're going to We're going to uh, share this together for those of us that are believers in Christ 
at the end. And my heart is to prepare you really, really well, even in these, these few minutes that we have. So Acts 2 gives us the blueprint, be devoted to communion. And I'm going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11 for a little bit more detail on how we can prepare really carefully. And I want us to prepare by looking in some different directions. I want us to think about looking back. I want us to think about looking up. I want us to think about looking within and finally looking ahead. And as I read these verses to you, chapter 10 and verse 16 and 17, and then chapter 11, verse 23 and 33, just begin, as you're reading, just begin to think through how and what are the ways in which we're encouraged to look in these different directions as we prepare to take this. And if you're a visitor this morning, you're a guest with us, you're looking into the Christian faith, this is a really great way to understand just what the Christian faith is, because this meal is designed to tell us so much about it. And it may be that you get to the place this morning that you want to become a Christian, to become a follower of Christ. And if that's the case, then taking communion for the first time is a, a fascinating, wonderful way to do that in the, in the context of other believers around you. So chapter 10 verse 16, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the, a church in Corinth just a few years after that first church that we see in Acts 2. And uh, their church is not quite as healthy, uh, suffice to say, as the church in Acts 2 in Jerusalem. There are a few problems and Paul wants to address them. Chapter 10 and verse 16, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, talking about the wine that I've just shown you, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. If I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So, let's prepare in a moment to take the bread and the wine by thinking about looking back, up, within, 
and ahead. And I want you to really be asking God right now, of these four different ways of preparing, I might be more familiar with some than the others. God, Holy Spirit, would you show me how particularly you'd like me to focus on preparing to take this meal in a moment. I might engage with this wonderful uh, tradition, this wonderful sacrament, this wonderful gift of God with fresh joy and reverence. Number one, looking back in verses 23 to 25, Paul reminds the church, this one one of probably most we're most familiar with in our church tradition, he reminds them of what Jesus said when he inaugurated this uh, this meal, this this the the last supper before he died. He commanded us to take the bread and wine as an act of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. In other words, do this as a means of looking back at the cross and giving thanks. That's what Jesus is saying. He took this 1,000 plus year tradition of the Passover meal and he redefines it and says, now this meal that you as a Jewish people have been celebrating for over a thousand years, it's actually about me from here on forth. And it's for all people who put their faith in me, in my life, in my death, in my resurrection. There's a new covenant of grace. Jesus says, between God and people. My body, my blood is to be shared, not a lamb's, but mine once and for all, is to be broken and shared for you, that you might be forgiven forever and united to God through me forever. So, Jesus says, take this meal in remembrance of what I'm about to do, looking back at the cross. You know, going back to that example of Caroline and I's engagement meal, if we were to, uh, to have that meal again this week, to take that same meal and share it together this week, I think a couple of things would happen. One, I'd be broke. <laughs> Two, though, we would end up looking back. We'd, be, we'd end up, I think, in our conversation, looking back at that day that we got engaged, that evening that we had together. We'd be looking back and, I think, giving thanks for, for what God did, frankly, in, in bringing us together. That's what the meal is partly for. That's what the Lord's Supper is partly for, to look back in remembrance. So, in a moment, let's take the bread and the wine and let's allow it, let's allow it to cause us to look back in gratitude at the, the breaking of our Saviour's body, the shedding of his blood. These are the central events of our faith, the beginning of a new covenant of grace, this physical symbol of our deliverance from from a slavery of sin and death into resurrection life. Now it's my bet that for most of us who are Christians, that's probably the one we're most familiar with in terms of preparing for the Lord's Supper, looking back. What about the next three? Number two, looking up. What I mean by that? Well, in chapter 10 and verse 16, Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ. And he's saying we don't just look back at what Jesus has done, we look up at who he is and who we are in him and what we have in him now, which is participation in Christ himself. It's about the present as well as the past. We look up. At Christ, who is seated in heavenly places, having risen and ascended. And anyone who, who through faith in him is united to him and sat with him spiritually in heavenly places. And we give thanks for the participation that we have in Christ, with Christ. The word that Paul uses for participation literally means to fellowship with. You see, this is 
the Lord's Supper is not only an act of remembrance, it's not only a symbolic act of remembrance, it is a, a, a present act of relationship and friendship and worship, participation with and in Christ. Jesus is, is spiritually present in this meal in quite a unique way. He's not physically present in the, 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 the bread and the wine, his flesh, his blood, but he is spiritually present, Paul tells us. We can participate uniquely with him as we share this meal that he commanded us to do so. Again, if Carol and I were to have our engagement meal again this week, we wouldn't, of course, only look back at the original meal that we had and look back at what God did with us then. We'd be talking about what God's doing with us now. I'd be fellowshipping with Caroline in the moment, wouldn't I? As well as looking back at how we fellowshiped five years ago. It's a present activity with Jesus. So when you take the Lord's Supper, do you, do you talk to Jesus? Do you participate? Do you in him? Do you delight in your union with him? Do you take time to listen to him as you drink the wine and eat the bread? Don't rush it. We're going to have an extended time of worship. You can really take your time to participate in and with the Saviour who is present spiritually in this meal with professing believers. So we look back at what Jesus has done, we look up at who he is and what we have in him now, and thirdly, we, we look within. In other words, communion presents the opportunity for what Paul calls self-examination. That's what he says in verse 28, which we should examine ourselves within in preparation to take the Lord's Supper. Let me give you some context to what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth in the first Century. He's become aware of a number of problems in the church, this being, this being one, that they're taking the Lord's Supper in a way that frankly is dishonouring to Jesus and to um, some in their church. At the time, churches met in homes, just as we are uh, at the moment. And they often met in bigger homes, and bigger homes were owned by wealthier people. And it seemed like, according to various theologians and commentators and scholars, it seemed like what was happening was that the wealthier Christians were arriving earlier and in kind of importing a cultural sort of class system, they were having a meal together before the service, as it were, starts, into which they were incorporating communion. They were wealthy enough to come early and, and not have to work throughout the day. Uh, and then some of them were getting carried away, frankly, with the meal, yeah, the whole meal and communion itself, and getting drunk. In the meantime, that the less well-off members of the congregation, uh, the, the slaves and the servants, those who, were, who couldn't afford in any sense to arrive when the others did, they were working and arriving and later and coming often hungry and tired and becoming and being, Paul says in verse 22, humiliated by what they found when they arrived. This thing had started and become descended into something that it shouldn't have done. Paul is really cross isn't he? He's really cross with the wealthy people in the church. He says in that same verse 22, he says, you've despised the church of God. Strong words. Verse 29, he says, you haven't discerned the body, referring to the body of Christ, the church. He's like, you haven't understood what the church is and how precious every single person is, made equal in the sight of God and blood bought by Jesus to be grafted into the body of Christ, united to each one of us and to me at the head. You haven't discerned the body in your conduct, Paul says. Paul writes his more strong words. He says, 
and I'm paraphrasing here, he's like, you may take the bread and the wine, but because you're doing so in such a way that excludes and marginalises people, he's like, I'm quoting now, it's not the Lord's Supper that you take. And he even says, God has and will judge and discipline you for what you're doing, to wake you up. What's the point here? Paul is saying the body of Christ that Christ has died for is really, really precious. Every part of the body, every person in the body, you, is really, really precious. And if anything happens in the life of the church that causes people to be marginalised or put to the edges or kind of relegated because their material wealth or their intellect or their background or whatever is, is so apparently less than others, Paul is really, really strong about that. And so as we prepare for communion, broadly speaking, there's an opportunity for examination, to examine our hearts and conscience, not to kind of beat ourselves and try and dust ourselves down to make us uh, suitable to have this meal with Jesus, but to just check our hearts and conscience. Which is why it's not a meal for people who are not yet Christians, because someone who's not yet Christian hasn't repented of their sins and believed in Jesus. So it's a meal not for someone. It's not a meal for someone in that instance. And if, even if someone is a Christian and they're living in kind of what you might call long-term willful obedience, rebellion against God, this wouldn't be a meal to take. But it would be a wonderful opportunity to come again for the first time as a new believer or a fresh time as a, a, a current believer in repentance to examine ourselves, and specifically to examine ourselves in terms of how we treat each member of our body, each person in King's Church, including those that you don't particularly get along with or you haven't got much in common with or you find difficult. How are our hearts as regards each member of the body? Who are we going to be inviting into our homes, literally, in these coming weeks as we do online church, we can have people in our homes? What is our attitude to the whole body of Christ? Do we have kind of divisions in mind where we place people and rank people? No room for that in the church of Jesus, given that he has given his life for every single person. So in preparation, we look back at what Jesus has done on the cross. We look up at who he is and who we are now with him. And we look within, both within our own conscience and hearts and within in the life of, of our church, this local body of Christ. And finally, we look ahead in preparation for communion. Chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you proclaim what has happened, looking back, but you also proclaim what will happen, looking ahead, the return of Jesus. Jesus himself, in Luke and Matthew's Gospel, said that he wouldn't take this meal of bread and wine again until the fulfilment of the kingdom. In other words, until he returned to completely complete and fulfill what he's begun. And so part of taking, part of preparing to take uh, the wine and the bread, part of preparing to take this precious meal is to, is to look ahead to what Revelation chapter 19 calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, this little bit of uh, bread and wine, it's also a a foretaste of what's to come. Just this little bit that you're going to have, this little bit of wine or juice that you're going to have. It's a, a foretaste of what's to come. The new creation banquet, the eternal feast 
that Jesus is going to enjoy forever with all of those that are united to him. The world completely renewed as it should be, and a feast forever. We prepare to take this and we take this looking ahead. We proclaim what's to come, that one day all the sad things will come in true. And the world will be as it should be. And anyone united to Christ through faith will enjoy an eternal feast forever. One uh, commentator I read this week said this, At the Lord's table, in the midst of a sin-sick world, the perfect future for which we long comes rushing into the present. In other words, we look ahead at what is to come. So how are you going to prepare? We're going to have a time of singing and worship with the band in the moment. It's going to be an extended time. Whoever you're with, I trust you're able to share uh, communion with them. If you're not yet a believer, we'd ask you just to reflect on these things. But if you are not yet a believer, you're in the house, somebody that is, this could be a great time to pray together and to take communion for the first time as you confess your sins in repentance and say, I believe I'm trusting in the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus to unite me to God now and change and transform me now and forever. So enjoy, church, enjoy doing this. And what is it for you if you're a believer? Is it about looking back, up, within, or ahead as you in these moments take this precious, precious sacrament? Bless you guys. See you soon.